1: Kobe in the fourth this is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts and our presenting sponsor, BetUS.com. Coming in a Tuesday evening on tonight's show, I'll be joined by Brendan Headkey of Canis Hoopas to discuss the Timberwolves charting a path to being a respectable defense next season. Brendan wrote a piece on that topic that you can check out over at Canis, and the two of us are going to work through the topics he covered in that piece. But before I bring Brendan in, I've got some quick NBA playoffs thoughts. And if I could sum those up in one sentence, it would be bet on the nets. I was looking this afternoon at the odds for the Bucks nets series over at betus.com and Brooklyn is minus 420 to win that series. They're already up 2-0. if you're not familiar with betting odds, that means you would need to bet $420 to win 100, which means if you think the nets have a greater than 81% chance of winning that series that you should bet on them. And yeah, I mean, how how do the Brooklyn Nets not have a greater than 81% chance of winning that series? They're up 2-0. They gotta win two of the next five games. I mean, next question. Brooklyn is also only minus 110 to win the championship right now. And I'm I'm taking that one too. Essentially those odds say that the Nets have a 50% chance of winning the championship, and the field has a 50% chance of winning the championship. And I'm taking Brooklyn there too. On the other side of the bracket, give me Phoenix. Phoenix is plus 225 to win the Western Conference. That's the same odds as the Clippers. And the odds actually say that the Jazz are more likely to come out of the West. And both the Clippers and the Suns, they're plus 150. It's not how I see it. I think Phoenix is the most likely team to win the West. So that plus 25, which says a 31% chance of winning the conference. I mean, to me, I see value in that. So if I were to bet on this stuff, those are the two teams that I'd be betting on. The NBA playoffs are here. As our NFL Week 1 lines, they're live for you to bet at BetUS. Great payouts, the industry's biggest bonuses, and every bet type you could dream is available for my friends over at BetUS. Join now by calling 1-800-69-BETUS or online at BetUS.com and get a 125% up bonus using promo code DANE125. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. Now let's bring in Brandon. All right, Brendan Hedkey of Canis Hoopus, You wrote a great article over at Canis about kind of the, I guess the elephant in the room of of the summer as it pertains to actual basketball with this Timberwolves team. And that's just, can they ever play respectable defense? I mean, in your piece, you, you I thought it was crazy in the the part you laid out at the beginning that in 26 of the 32 years of this franchise's existence, the Timberwolves have been below average in defensive rating, which is... Mostly just a depressing historical stat, but it kind of highlights the more pressing issue, right? Of the fact that the Timberwolves have failed to be in the top 20 in defense in any of the six years that Karl-Anthony Towns has been on the roster. And I guess I'm just kind of sitting here with the Wolves having finished 27th in defense this past season. Brendan, is is, is there a more pressing issue that faces this team than their path to finding a respectable defense?
2: Um, On the court, no. I think that is like the biggest thing when you talk about wanting to get into like contention for like actually being in the playoffs and like playing meaningful basketball when it gets to late April, May, June. Um, Yeah, 26 seasons below average defense. KG was part of four of the six seasons that were that's, above average.
1: That's crazy, though. So KG was only on four above-average defenses? Yeah. That's
2: that's kind of wild, that's, too. That's what struck me more than the fact that they've only had <laughs> yeah. six good defenses is the fact that KG was here for, what, like 11 years? Something like that. And something like that. Only four times. And that that's... was, you know, 1998, 1999, 03, 04, so on and so forth. So, like, they were just really bad even in times that like KG was here and they were consistently a playoff team Um and obviously the NBA has changed since then but still like that part of it hasn't. Maybe the defensive ratings have gone up and the offensive ratings have gone up but still like you need to have a good net rating to win, to win basketball games so that was a stat that it was probably worse than I thought it was going to be when I went in to look at it and that kind of set me up for the whole piece but yeah they're just consistently bad
1: <laughs> the so so i went through just the the six cat years and i've definitely done this before but just went through what they're what they've been in defense and that's they're 27th this year 21st the year before 24th before that 23rd 26th and 27th so we're talking you know bottom tier defense every year of cat's career and there's kind of been this narrative right that it's that it's cat's fault um that he he's the reason behind that and i think that really kicked in last season in the 2019 2020 year when the defense was substantially better with him off the floor right. if you look at the numbers than when he was on the floor but if you there are years where it has been better with cat on the floor it's not like he is he's clearly been a negative this season they were the exact same 116.2, which isn't good, but they're yeah. 116.2 with him on, and they're 116.2 with him off. So so he's a neutral I think,
2: defender, I guess. Is
1: A neutral defender in the context of, the of a bad defensive yeah, right. team. But, I mean, obviously there's a, a ton more context behind that because if you go back to basically the Jimmy year was, was the one year that, not that the Wolves were good defensively as a team, they were 23rd that Tibbs Jimmy year, but they were substantially better with Cat on the floor that season than when he was off the floor, and I think I think that's really interesting to me, and I don't want to bounce, bounce this off you because obviously you know that's a good sign one night 109 with with Cat on the floor that season, but you also have the fact that you know Jimmy Butler's on the team, one of the best defenders in the league. You, you have Taj, that, that starting lineup of Teague, Wiggins, Butler, Taj, and Cat played together a ton that season. So, in a lot of ways, Cat's defensive rating is kind of just Jimmy Butler's defensive rating. But at the same time, it was good. You know, Cat's part of that. He's the most integral piece of the defense on that team. So, I think we can kind of, like, if we want to jump off of some of that, it kind of points to the fact that when this team has had capable – wing defenders surrounding him cat fares a lot better defensively on the floor and and as we people point to that 2019-20 season when it was a disaster when he was on the floor we can also point to the fact of like who was around him on the perimeter You you didn't have Jaden McDaniels on the roster you you had Covington now playing power forward so he's not a wing defender anymore yeah you have like a Kogi who's who's solid there but I guess just as I was kind of like combing through some of these numbers today, and as you know, like, I think we're both, as you highlighted in your piece, piece, we're both on this idea that it would maybe help if they added a rim defender next to Cat, but there's also this other side of it that's like, well, Cat can be a serviceable rim defender on his own if you have the point of attack taken care of, if you have smart wing defenders around him. So, I really think that that just charts multiple paths that Gerson Rosas in this front office can kind of begin to look at this season, when the, this summer, when they start to be like, "Well, what do we need to put around cat to make this team a good defensive group?"
2: Right. And, and you went back and talked about like Jimmy and Taj, and like, I've been saying this for years, and years before I even like started writing or doing anything, like I've always thought that how impactful Cat's going to be on defense really depends on who you put around him. I think he's going to feed off the energy of, of good defenders being around him. And I think if other people aren't trying, why is he going to try? Um, especially when he has like four guys coming from every direction because nobody can guard anybody out on the perimeter. But uh, yeah, I think it's interesting when you think of the different paths the Timberwolves could go. They could go out and try and find the Miles Turner to play the center spot on the defense, lock down the paint, um, and be that rim protection. Or you can find a another four that can you know, p- protect the rim, some backside help, you know, um, and just play defense that way. And Kat's still the rim protector, but he has a lot more help. But that also depends on shoring up the wing defense, making sure that there's not a million guys barreling down every time down the floor.
1: So um, what do you think that him. they have in terms of like wing personnel already on this roster? Because everyone's quick to point to the fact that you know that's not a strength of D'Angelo Russell. It's currently not a strength of Anthony Edwards, but at the same time, it's not like there's no wing guys on, on this team. Obviously Jaden McDaniels showed out this season. Joshua Kogey has has shown to be some of that. Like how desperate is the wing part of this defensive calculation?
2: Yeah, I think the wing part and I kind of talked about this in the article, kind of ties into that four spot. You, you bring in a four, and then you're able to shift Jaden McDaniels from that four mm-hmm. spot to the three spot, which I think you and I both agree that would be the best use of him. Not only on on offense is kind of, you know, they kind of are interchangeable, but on defense, having him there at the three spot, and still having a good solid four size person at the four, um, would help, you know, just a lot. So I think if you're not able to bring in a four that can really play some defense. You better be bringing in a three that can play some defense because Jaden McDaniels is going to need that help, especially if it's D'Lo, Malik, Ant, and then Jaden and Cap. Then you're just kissing defense goodbye completely because <laughs> you have Malik, who's too small to guard three so that's Ant's job. Ant is just not ready for that yet, um, and D'Lo is just slow and methodical and doesn't really you know offer much on that side of the ball so yeah i think and that it's all going to come down to if you can bring in that four and if Jaden can play the three i think because you have josh josh is a solid point of attack defender um jared vanderbilt i, I think he's restricted but he's a free agent this summer yeah. if you can bring him back for a couple million bucks you're good but you're not going to overpay for him um but he can play point of attack defense and guard wings too but he's not on offense he's going to really really you know kind of You're going to punt on offense at that four spot if he's out there. Um, And he has some capabilities, but he can't catch the ball. So that really limits what he can do. Um, Josh is kind of the same way, but at least Josh is playing on the wing. And I don't know. Regardless, I don't think it's a lost cause. I don't think you have to bring in a wing. I think you have to bring in a wing or a four so Jaden can get put into a position. But I would really, really prefer for that position to be at the three.
1: Yeah, and that could be, you know, part of the calculation too here cuz we're talking about defense, but what we're really talking about is overall net impact, right? So, if there can be a positional shift within this roster of the pieces already there where a player like Jaden McDaniel shifts to a position where he's better offensively, well now it doesn't delete the need defensively, but it becomes, you know, more palatable. You you put in the piece that you think that this team could make the playoffs if they're 20th in defense next season. For sure. Is that, is that because that's because you would foresee them being a top five offense or, or where like, I guess how good do they have to be ever everywhere else to be 20th on defense?
2: Yeah. So if you go ahead and look at, I outlined this in a piece, but like Atlanta finished eighth offensively 21st defensively Portland finished fourth offensively, 29th defensively. So I'm thinking if the Timberwolves finish and both those teams are, you know, six seed and four seed, obviously Eastern conference for the Hawks, maybe they're five seed four or five. I don't remember either way. They were tied with four. I don't remember. (laughs) Regardless, those teams were not play in teams. Those were like in the playoffs and they just had really, not really bad defense. You know, 21st isn't terrible. If you're Atlanta, but, I mean, twenty nine for the Blazers is just really bad. I don't think the Wolves are going to get up to 4th best offense like the Blazers, but I think they could be 8th best offense like the Hawks or 10th best offense. So then I think if you're looking at, you know, say the 8th best offense and the 23rd best defense, you're probably in like that play-in tournament in the Western Conference. You're maybe the ninth seed, the 8th seed. So
1: Dallas was actually – yeah, Dallas was actually this season eighth in offense and twenty second on defense. Uh, th- for the there's there's three teams who were fault you as you titled it good offense, bad defense teams in the league. Three of three of them, there's five total. Three of them made the playoffs: Brooklyn, who was first in offense, twenty first on defense; Portland, who was second in offense, 29th in defense; and Dallas, who was eighth on offense and twenty second in defense. Are the These are using cleaning the other two are Sacramento and New Orleans. So that's what I'm kind of what I'm kind of getting at cuz I I think I would push back on your 20 number a little bit, particularly considering they're in the west. I think they probably got to slide up to call it like 16, 17, 18 something like that to be able to to make the playoffs with that level with a below average What's defense. What's your
2: definition of playoffs? Like like not playing like 6 and up? Or eight and up, or what's your definition? Getting there? into
1: the getting into the playoffs. So I guess you could start at nine or whatever. Some, okay. Somehow get your way in. I get because I'm looking at the Pelicans, right? The Pelicans this year and the Kings are two teams who were above average offensively. The Kings were 11th, the Pelicans were 12th, and they both missed the playoffs. They missed the play-in altogether, and that's because the Kings might have been 11th on offense, but they were dead last in defense, 30th. So overall, that get that makes them one of the worst teams in the league. So for the Wolves, it's like, you know, if they're gonna be one of, if not the worst defenses in the league, which is in the realm of possibilities without addressing this. If they don't address it this you know this offseason, that something like that could very well happen. And then you're the you're the Kings, which is sadly a step forward, but not the necessary step forward, I think, that we expect for this team. And so I think that's that's part of the concern is it's like just because you become an above average offensive team or even like a tenth offensive team, there's no guarantee you know, that you're, that you're making the playoffs. We can go back the year before that, too, where it was San Antonio was ninth and 23rd. They missed the playoffs. Phoenix was 13th and 17th. The Pelicans were 14th and 19th. You really have to be like Dallas, Portland, and Denver were the year before. They were all top five. They had terrible defenses, but they're top five offenses. So I, I just, I guess I'm not as bullish on this idea that the Wolves are going to for sure be a top, five, six, seven offense in the league next year. So because of that, I do think that the defense is going to need to be approaching something more like league average for this team. Because if we look at it, like even post all-star break, right? That's slicing it to the wolves best benefit. And they were 11th on offense, 28th on defense. Delo time. they were 12th. When Delo came back, those last 22 games of the season, they're 12th on offense, 25th on defense. So, yeah, could, I mean, Malik coming back will be a boost. You know, I think it's safe to say Ant's going to be better. Maybe you get some more rhythm with Cat and D'Lo there. Whatever, what have you. It's just still a big jump to go from being that 12th level offense to 5th. And because of that, it's why I, I'm i not at... And granted, a ton of stuff has to happen this offseason. But when I say I'm skeptical that this Timberwolves team is going to be able to make the playoffs next season, it's because... I don't think that the offense is going to be elite, elite enough to make up for this. side like, what looks like is going to be a team that is probably going to be around twentieth defensively. You know what I mean? Right. It's just not. It's just not quite there. I don't think the math checks out.
2: So, so you're. Do you think the Wolves get to twentieth defensively if, say, like Miles Turner is brought in and is put Next to Carling Towns, do you think that that st- obviously it's a starting line. I talked about that in the piece too. You have bench players too, and the Wolves don't have a lot of defenders on the bench. But say your starting lineup is, and I detailed this in there like the Delo Ant, and then you have a uh, Jaden at the three, Miles Turner, or whoever good defender and cat next to each other. Do you think that's enough to vault them into top 20 defensively, or do you think they need? Even more well-rounded guys on the bench, or maybe D'Lo and Ann have to step up, or do you think that's enough to get, to get to that top twenty that way? I think I think
1: if you bring in a truly special rim protector, which Miles Turner was when he played this season, I think that will be enough to vault the team up to a average level defense. I think so too, and and that that's a big step. The problem is is there's an opportunity cost here, right? Where, by acquiring Miles Turner, you would need to be giving up some of your offensive pieces, probably, right? Malik Beasley, he's part of the reason, you know, that I'm assuming that would, if that trade somehow happened, Malik Beasley is either sent to Indiana or sent to a third team right. in, in, in a three-way deal. And with that, you know, Malik Beasley is, is, for as much as Miles Turner is a better offensive or defensive player than Malik Beasley, Malik Beasley is a better offensive player. That right. Miles Turner is so, so I think there, there's going to be a little slippage on the offensive end if you do that, but not as substantially. I think I just think I mean this is super simplified, but if you just took out Malik Beasley and plugged in Miles Turner to this team, then I would be in the camp of this team being a fringe playoff team, like a a seventh A seed, and then you know make some other moves on the margins. We see internal development. Then yeah, then I it could, you know, that that's when the potential becomes even higher. I, it's just my belief, and I've said this numerous times on here, that I think the single way to make the biggest possible jump defensively is is by doing so with rim protection. And I think you check that box pretty boldly if you're starting front court is Carl Anthony Towns and Miles Turner. You know, when we can well we can get to Evan Mobley and some of that stuff, but it's my opinion that that would be the bold move that could have a bold impact on the defense.
2: Yeah, and and Miles Turner is a player that I don't know how he would fit in offensively for sure. I don't necessarily think it'd be a perfect fit, but he's a player that can space the floor, and you yeah, know, not a bad a offensive player. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I don't think the fit would ever be bad. I think it would maybe at times be not perfect, which is fine. But
1: I just think what was so cool about watching miles turner this season was he just kind of was like all right Sabonis is our guy offensively i like i am not there's nothing i can do here to get a heavy offensive usage it's just not going to happen so you know rather than whining about it he just you just watch him play and he that was he would he went to the floor he cared about that every single time you know it, it was very much like the intention that you want when you watch a Rudy Gobert play defensively, like in Rudy's head, he's like, this is, this is my job. It's also my job to play offense, but this is my main job. If I don't bring it here, 90, 95% of the defensive possessions, we're going to be in trouble. And, and I really saw that from miles Turner this season defensively. He was like, this is where my bread is going to be buttered. I got enough on the offensive side. I don't have the option to be able to do that right now in this Pacers offense. But I think you saw him. I I think you saw miles Turner Embrace the exact type of role that I think would be very beneficial for the construct of this Timberwolves team.
2: Yeah. And I think Miles Turner, too, like you said, he just kind of knew, you know, this was Sabonis's offense. This is my defense. It's his offense. Let it roll with that. I think he would think kind of the same way with Cat when, you know, Cat and Sabonis are, they're not necessarily similar players. Cats face the floor out more, whatever, but, you know, top tier big men in the league. He's like, I'll do the defensive dirty work. Let him do the offensive work. I'll get my open shots and, and benefit off of it that way. Um, So yeah, I get that. And like you said, he does play with intention. You know, he, I mean, he's a guy who's very vocal about wanting to be the defensive player of the year, tweeting about how it should be his (laughs) award and whatnot, which whatever. But if that's how he motivates himself to play defense, like I want that guy in my team. Um, So I I think that he would be a, a really good fit defensively. And then, because Cat can move his feet on, on the perimeter, but also Miles Turner can move his feet on the perimeter too. So you're talking about two guys that you're not screwed if you get down the court and one of them's on Embiid and the other one is on Tobias Harris. You have, you know, either one kind of interchangeable. Obviously, Cat's not as good in the post as Turner. Um, but he can hold his own if he doesn't have to worry about everybody else around him. So Miles is an interesting one. That's one that I've, I wrote a whole piece about that, like, last year, just the general idea of that before we really understood what this team needed defensively mm. um but yeah, I, I like that fit. That's been one of my favorite defensive fits um to put next to cat, but then you do have two true like six eleven seven footers taking up space on the floor so
1: it, it would be a massive it would be a massive, massive team I, I want to take a quick break here, but then let's let's talk about other options because Turner is kind of the the main one when you start looking at it but there are more likely than not it's gonna to have to be something else like that and i want to explore whether or not it's worth you know pursuing a discount level version right. of a miles turner but we'll take a quick back and be right back The NBA Draft Lottery is on June 22nd. It's coming up, and Britt Robson and myself are going to do a live show at Forgotten Star Brewery that night. We'd love for you to come through, grab a beer, and watch the lottery with us. The ping pong balls will shake out at 7.30 that night, but we'll be there at 6 o'clock, so come on through to Forgotten Star Brewery in Fridley. Britt and I will do a live show reacting to whatever those results are that night after the ping pong balls do shake out. Forgotten Star is huge. There's plenty of room to watch the lottery in whatever NBA playoff game follows the ping pong balls. They also have a Honey Hazy IPA whose proceeds go to the Fridley basketball program called the Buzzer Beater Honey IPA. If you want to check out Forgotten Star uh, before lottery night, they are open at noon, seven days a week. If you're doing a brewery this weekend, check them out. I've been wanting to do a live show since I took this podcast independent. Obviously, the pandemic got in the way of us doing that this past year, so I'm excited that we can now do it and, and that we can watch the lottery together. Again, it'll be on NBA Lottery Night june 22nd we'll be there at six and the lottery starts at seven thirty. come on through to forgotten star brewery located 10 minutes from downtown minneapolis and have a beer or maybe five if the wolves win the lottery the nba playoffs are here and this summer's betting action is heating up with my friends over at bet us with ufc mlb golf summer olympics and football season just right around the corner you need a sports book with great payouts bet us has the industry's biggest bonuses and every kind of bet type you could dream of, BetUS has been a pioneer in online betting for over 25 years and prides itself on being America's favorite sportsbook. So take advantage of this action-packed summer and sign up today at BetUS.com. That's BetUS.com or 1-800-69-BETUS, one 800 mybetus And receive 125% sign-up bonus when you use the promo code DANE125. If you missed tip-off and forgot to bet, that's no problem at BetUS, BetLive.com. All the way up to the final buzzer. And if you think it's too early to bet on the NFL, wrong. At BetUS, week one lines are already live for you to bet on. If you care for some blackjack, spin the reels, there are hundreds of games in the BetUS casino as well. I bet at BetUS, and so should you. Join now by calling 1-800-69-BETUS or online at BetUS.com. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy, with tools like Indeed Instant Match giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately and Indeed skills tests that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 136 skills tests, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for the applications that meet them. According to TalentNest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit. To upgrade your job, post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire, offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Brendan. So part of this idea that, that you laid out in the piece about getting a rim protector on this team Call it mobile, you call it Turner, you call it somebody else. We can run through some names. Um, is the is the idea that Carl Anthony Towns could handle himself at the four right. defensively and and be able to handle a pretty much very different job in terms of in, in terms of being a, a positive defensive player and and with what we, we we saw from Carl for the first time in those six years is really under Chris Finch, the kind of freedom to do that. And, and now people are going to kind of you know tuck some of that into the, the whole aggregate aggregated defense that they played this season. Overall, the Wolves' defense wasn't good. But what was your opinion of Carl Anthony Towns isolated for the times when he was isolated on the perimeter guarding somebody, uh, more like a wing or a forward type player?
2: Yeah, I think that he, did he look like Jaden McDaniels on the wing? Of course, he's not moving his feet like that. He's a much bigger, you know, slower person than that. But he's, I don't think he's a slow lumbering center trying to run around to the perimeter. I think he, what he lacks in speed, he really makes up for in his length. Um, and I think he switches his hips pretty good for being a big man, which, you know, helps get some of that speed back that he might sacrifice from his just general not being that quick. Um but I thought, he, I thought he held his own. I think he looked a little bit better even on the perimeter than he maybe did down on the post. I think in a on a perfect team where he had good defenders around him, he'd be a better post defender than he is a perimeter defender. But when you're talking about who he has around him, letting him run around, play defense that way, I think is the best use of him. When you talk about – so I, I'm a teacher. I studied education and, like, not psychology necessarily, but like human development and things like that, people, and it's really simple when you think about it, people want to do like whatever they want to do. If they want to do it, they're going to try harder. Like I want to like go out and golf and I want to be good at golf. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to practice golf and I'm going to take it seriously and do it. Cat, you can just see, he likes to run around, chase people, play defense out on the perimeter. So if that's the way you're going to get the maximum effort from him, harness that rather than trying to tame it down tame that activity level down on defense because you can't be as I mean you have to be active when you're playing in the post but it's not as much like continual like running it's like active in other ways um and I think he just likes that running around a little bit more so if that's going to get the most effort out of him do that rather than trying to tame him down he's going to foul less if he's guarding the perimeter too, which has been a big problem of his. I didn't even touch on that in the piece, but I mean, he's fouls out, you know, or gets in foul trouble early, which causes him to not play as many minutes, which then tanks your offense. Um, So I think that's another way to get him to foul less is getting him out on the perimeter, not trying to block shots because he does like to, to, who doesn't love to block a shot. So he's got (laughs) the mentality too. So I was really encouraged by his activity level how quick he actually did look out on the perimeter—it's just something we've never really seen, right? I mean, even when him and Gorgy played next to each other, like we still didn't see it. Um, mm-hmm. So I was encouraged. I, I just don't think it—I know you've talked I, about that before, but I—I I, I liked it. I just think it's
1: about commitment from Carl, engaged commitment. And when you see him do that in any scheme, you know, whatever it might might be, if he is committed to the job, he's fine at it defensively. And, that, and that's, that's what I'm saying. I
2: I yeah. think he likes him more, so he's going to commit to it more. It,
1: you know, and it, it it's it, it's easier said than done to be engaged defensively. He wouldn't is not the first player, even a star caliber, to have waning engagement defensively. But you know, I go back to the beginning of the season, and we saw him extremely engaged in his role as the rim protector, as a drop big, communicating, and you know, and seeing plays develop a step ahead of when they develop, which is a prerequisite of being a solid drop rim defender. And, and Carl did that when he was engaged. He did not do that at the end of the season. He lost his engagement in, in that area. And, you know, if you if you start cutting through clips, his defense looks, you can find plenty that look pretty bad when he's in, in that position defensively, in that position in the scheme defensively. That doesn't mean he is a bad defender. And it doesn't necessarily mean he's a good defender either, but it means he can be in that and the sample size of him playing the four or defending more like wing type players is smaller but i just went through and i watched him this afternoon his his wing isolation defensive situations and what i saw from carl in those was that committed engagement because he's like all right like you're trying to square me up you're trying to pull me out and isolate on me like i am he has a pride in that. He he doesn't want to be he doesn't want to be shown up in that. And that's what that's what when Luca gets this one. We just watched it for seven games in, in the Clippers series. Like, that's what Luca's trying to do so he's trying to pick the hole in the defense and isolate and embarrass that type of person. Cats, not about that. And I know the Wolves played the Mavs in the last game of the season. The Mavs weren't trying, whatever. So I, I, I don't know if it would have you know, this might have been different. But the Wolves are switching out. Cat, Cat's getting isolated on Luca three times in that game, and all three times what Luca did was choose not to penetrate into him and instead took a pull up three or took a step back three on Cat. And so as I continue to watch along with more of these isolation situations, the game previous to that was Jason Tatum, which is a pretty you know similar type of player. And Tatum did the same thing. And if you keep going back for you know further and further into the season, you see these wink these big wing type of players. Who theoretically shouldn't be at a massive, like, size disadvantage to Carl when they're attacking him. Those players opted to not try and go past Carl or through Carl, and they opted to try and step back, which I think is actually a pretty big win for Cat. Because as you highlight in the piece, and he's got that seven foot four wingspan. Sometimes he does the, the dumb thing where he, he closes out on that shot. And then he he turns his head and follows the shot and fall like gets under the the, the guy's yeah. feet. He he followed a lot of three point shooters in those situations. So you can teach that, you Hopefully. you can teach that, and and I think that's a, I think that's kind of like a reps thing too. Right. But to me, with any big, if I'm coaching a team and I'm thinking about all right, do I want to put them in a situation out of a drop? Do I want to put them in a switch a situation where they can get switched and isolated on them? My biggest concern is that. They're going to get cooked, you know, and that the guy is going to be able to go north-south on them. And from the film that was laid out this season, what we saw in Carl was that was not the main issue. Now, what might happen if you play Luca in a playoff series again, and, you know, and Kat's kind of giving him a little bit of space there because he doesn't want to give her, maybe Luca does hit four or five of those step-back threes on him. But if we're weighing it out, like, I'm taking... I'm okay with with Luka taking step-back threes versus what Luca did, I thought, more impressively in that Clippers series, which was go north-south around and through the players he got switched on to. So to me, and I mean, and, and, and people, you know, we, we don't know, we haven't seen enough of this with Cat, but it's it's very encouraging and worth looking at the film that was laid down. The Cat looks passable in that role as a player who who switches out. And now you could use that with him. You don't have to have a center to let him switch. You know, he doesn't need to be a four to let him switch, but he's going to find himself in that situation more often. If they do bring in a, a a true five to play next to him or a four, who's also big and can defend the rim. And there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different ways that that could happen. We just talked about miles Turner. They could get uh, one of these top three picks and they could get an Evan Mobley and you kind of slide cat in that spot or probably the most likely path for we're being real is them going out on the trade market or the free agent market and getting kind of maybe what you would more think of as a backup center or a low level starting center and, and putting him in there, putting that type of player next to cat. Are you of the mind that that type of center is enough? If you, you know, you call it a New Orleans Noel, a JaVale McGee, Daniel Tice, Kem Burch, those guys are all, you know, kind of that class of of big. Would you be all right with sliding Cat to the four if you're bringing in a five who isn't exactly a special player?
2: I, yes. Obviously, for the I think everything comes with a general, you know, mm-hmm. asterisk of what's it going to cost to get that player. But um, I would love Nerland's Noel defensively for this team. I think he was great for New York, and I wouldn't be surprised if New York looks to move Mitchell Robinson and use New Orleans Noel mm-hmm. the well as their rim protector going forward, which um, I wouldn't mind Mitchell Robinson either, but he's foul-prone too, so they got two foul-prone centers playing next, like two of the most foul-prone centers in the league. I'll, I'll, I'll roll other. the
1: dice on that one.
2: <laughs> but, um, no, I think that, I think it all kind of comes down to, like, what are you willing to sacrifice on offense to get that, defense there um i think neurons well would be a fine enough offensive player i think he plays in that low post area and well enough and cat spaces out enough to make it work i don't think you would um be like top tier offense that way but you wouldn't have to play all 48 minutes that way either obviously you can run cat at the five and i think that's the thing people some people might not remember it's like when you get that second person. If it's not like a Miles Turner who's going to get 36 minutes a game, if it's a guy who's going to get 28. You could still run cat at the at the five for right. the the remaining minutes and whatnot. So, I think that that would, a lot of those guys would be enough. The Javel McGee's, the Cat or the excuse me, the Nerlens Noel, um some of the other guys you mentioned. Defensively, it'd be I think more it'd
1: be ideal it'd be more ideal if that rim protector center could also space the floor a little bit. And I guess of those free agent guys maybe that's daniel tice but but mostly if you're trying to check both of those boxes be able to spread the floor offensively and provide that rim defense as a five you're not getting that for like 5 million bucks in free agency right? right like right that's why it's you know that's why it's the miles turner who you're going to have to pay up for big time to go get or you know some other sort of big trade where now you're Sacrificing substantial assets. And for me, where I stand on that is like, whether it's Turner or whoever, you know, I'm not interested in acquiring a starting caliber big or a good big, even someone as good as Turner for numerous, you know, big time assets, num- particularly first round picks. Because if I'm running the Wolves, I want to keep that asset drawer as full as possible to someday go out and be able to get. The true superstar. Right. You know, you want to have those three or four first round picks that you can put on the table someday when superstar player X becomes made available. So that's that's part of. As much as I'm interested by a Miles, Miles Turner idea, I'm less so interested if the cost includes Beasley and a first round pick. Or same right. thing, we could talk about John Collins as well. If it starts cutting into those first round picks that you have you know, and people can think whatever they want to think about the value of a first-round pick, but the price tag to go out and get a superstar, which I think we all agree this team needs to ever be able to be a true contender in the league, the price tag for that is what we just saw James Harden get traded for. All previous, you know, Paul George, whatever, you got to trade that blue chip player plus four future first-round picks. And I, I would like the Wolves to be able to keep that option sort of available which that's kind of what you were saying at the beginning. It's like, this all only makes sense if the price makes sense, right? Right.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's what, that's what I was trying to get at too. You really got to keep the powder dry for, for when that next star becomes available, because at some point it's going to be your turn to try and go out and get that player. You know, if the Timberwolves do look decent next, decent next year, they're, you know, making their way into the play in or whatever, and they're trending in the right direction then at some point it's like, okay, now is our chance to go get that player. But if you traded your 2023 first-round pick to go get Miles mm-hmm. Turner, now the best picks you can offer like 2025 and 2027, and exactly. you really pigeonhole yourself in like such a bad spot where you and don't this really is your, have anything. This is anything. your team. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I'm with you. I don't want to give up big assets to go and get anyone. I'd rather I'd – rather get this pick this summer and just do what we have to with that one. But um, <laughs> right. I'd rather try to find a lower level player that can fill that need in a smaller role. Mm-hmm. And one, just see if it works on a larger scale, you know, see if cat at the mm-hmm. four works for a longer see, that's,
1: time. See, that's my only interest in like a Travail McGee type guy is not necessarily to be the starter, but almost just in, you know, McGee's playing 15 minutes a game. And in those 15 minutes a game, he's playing 10 of them next to cat or cats at the four. Like we haven't even seen that. Like the closest thing we've gotten to seeing that was Vanderbilt this year and and Vanderbilt, you know, he's just not, he's just not a rim defender in that sort of way. Like it, it isn't, it isn't the big body that JaVale McGee or something would be. So I'm less interested in that free agency path. And I'm also, if the price is wrong, not really interested in the miles Turner sort of thing. So then I think that leaves us. If, it is still important to address the bigs position, the center position. Now you, you start talking about players who could be pretty easily attained because they're on a bad deal, which would be like a Dwight Powell who has two years, $22 million. Is, is that, is that something you want to pay Dwight Powell? No, he's, he's overpaid at that. He signed that before he tore his Achilles, whatever. Al Horford, who's making 20, $26 million over these next 26, $27 million over these next two years. Now those guys aren't, I'm not saying they aren't worth those contracts. I'm not saying they are worth those contracts. They're not. But to me, that opens up this kind of sweet and sour spot. I was going to say sweet spot, but you you know what I'm saying? And, and it opens up this opportunity where you can be like, all right, well, we can go out and get you Al Horford. We can go out and get you Dwight Powell Without giving up any of those assets, and in the process, we can get off of a contract that we might not want to have. Maybe multiple contracts we don't right. want to have. If that's Ricky, the Wolves don't. Have, I mean, the the whole DLO element. Like, we know that's not a great contract, but that 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 kind of I think exists out of the realm of this possibilities. But you can you could throw that into the negative contracts the Wolves have on the books. I would say Culver's probably that at this point in his career or, or, or approaching that area. There, there's Wancho, like a maybe. Watch right, yeah, perfect. There's like, there's this world where I, I don't even know where I'm at at Al Horford in general. The, the whole idea of it, but what intrigues me about it is obviously not El Horford's twenty six and a half million dollars salary. It's this idea that the Wolves have, also have twenty six and a half million dollars of bad, quote unquote, bad salary on their on their roster too. That if you can kind of finagle that together in a way. When now OKC has Wancho, OKC has Culver. It's like okay, we got that fourteen million dollars of burden off our books, and then maybe Ricky gets rerouted too, and and you've re- removed that off in, in a way as well. And now you now you're dumping ten million onto OKC. You can obviously take that. Like I think there's a world where getting one of those bad contract centers makes sense for this Wolves team because I think Powell or Horford would probably function pretty well next to Cat in this idea that we have. Plus it has this added benefit of, all right, now we shed some players that we didn't want to have on our team in the first place.
2: Yeah. I, I love the idea of Al Horford on this team for like 10 million bucks, but
1: that's what I'm kind of talking about.
2: Right. But, it's but, like, right. But, but the thing is with Al Horford, basically you're committing next year at, at $27 million. And the year after mm-hmm. that is 26 and a half, but it's, it's partially guaranteed for 14.5. So if you wanted to... Which still sucks, but... Yeah, yeah. You, you could cut some of your losses and whatever mm-hmm. if it really didn't work. But I don't think it wouldn't work. You just have to be willing, which the Timberwolves are never going to sign a top-tier free agent, but you still want money to play with to sign your mid-level guys mm-hmm. to knock over the luxury tax. And we know how it all works. But I do think there's a world where, say you do, you go out and you trade. Ricky Rubio, he can't go to OKC because he just got traded to minnesota yeah, from like okc that. so he'd have to be rerouted elsewhere freeway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but regardless think of ricky so that's 17 million wancho that makes it like 24. 23 and then culver's like 29 so that makes it just about right so you have 27 going coming in or maybe they throw someone else in regardless those are three players you trade away you bring in horford so then you have your starting lineup you got dlo Ant, Jaden. Cat and Al, an so that'd be your five, and then you go to the bench. Um, maybe Balmeros here at the one. Then you would have Beasley would Beasley would still be on that team. Yeah, he'd be on the bench though.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. But we're talking yeah. about the you're talking about the bench, right?
2: Yeah. So you'd have Balmero at the one. I would say uh, Beasley at the two. Then you have I don't know.
1: I think we gotta punch out this idea that Balmeros one in the NBA, but that's I, a, that's a
2: separate podcast. I think. Let me put it this way. I think you could you could be okay if you run a three man unit of Noel, Beasley, and Balmero as your one, two, three. Balmero can be maybe more of your primary ball handler. Yeah, I get what
1: you're saying.
2: And then defensively you can run him, and he's you know, he's built more like a small forward, so he can guard opposing bench, small forward. You know, forward, he only weighs like
1: 180 pounds.
2: Yeah, but he so does Jaden McDaniels. And what do we think of Jaden McDaniels <laughs> as a defender? <laughs> So, (laughs) um, and he's got that dog in him too, where he's just nonstop hustling and making all this. So like, I think he would be fine playing defense that way. Um, and it's your bench unit. So he's not going up against, you know, Kevin Durant and James Harden. He's going up against like other guys. And then you'd have Nas Reed at your backup five. And then your backup four is whoever Jared Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt maybe comes back or whoever. So I think it really comes
1: down to what is Al though. That that's, that's the thing is it's like, I'm mostly to be clear. I'm mostly just like, Pitching this as an alternative path, because I because I think if if people are just thinking about bringing in Al Horford, I, I think you got people rolling their eyes right now. Where going to be thirty five next year, right? right? Like that doesn't you know that doesn't line up with this, and and it's multiple years he has got left on his deal. So it, it it only makes sense if it makes sense with Al Horford, right? And that right. and that and I just think there is an opportunity because his salary is so bad. To make it make sense, and it keeps your powder dry enough, where you haven't traded one of those first round picks, or you're still ready to hop on something when that time comes. And quite frankly, I think Al Horford would be better than going and getting your Travail McGee or your Ken Birch or whatever like that. Like he's going to have a more positive impact on your team than you know than those type of guys. I I, I feel like would. It's just this is the kind of the reality. There, there isn't there isn't a clean pretty path to the Wolves bringing in a five that that makes a ton of sense which which means this whole podcast is probably irrelevant and, and won't happen Rick. at all but that's what we've done for six years with Cat. we yeah. that's that's the answer that has come out of the equation every single time is well you know we're just gonna we're just gonna roll this this back out here with this group we're gonna go with Rocco at the four we're gonna go with McDaniels at the four whatever and you know and to kind of pivot into our last thing like that hasn't worked Roko and Cat were that last year, where they were atrocious together when on defensively when they shared the floor. When Roko was when Roko was playing power forward, Roko his his the defensive rating of that pairing in 2019-20 when those guys were on the floor together was one seventeen. Cat's worst defensive pairing of any player on the team. But if you circle back the year before that first year Roko got there, when the, those guys shared the floor and Roko was playing the three under Tibbs. That was Cat's best two-man pairing was next to Roko. So, you know, distill that out there, and it's like, well, maybe Cat isn't very good next to string bean fours. And that played out this year, where Jade McDaniels was not a good defensive pairing with Cat. Right. It wasn't. D- Jade McDaniels is a good defender, just like Robert Covington is a good defender. But at the four, it it has it has not worked in in that sort of way. So it cycles back to what we were talking about at the beginning. I just think you get a lot more profit out of Jaden McDaniels if you slide him down to the three, and really, the only way to do that is to bring in another big, and that's easier said than done.
2: Yeah, and and I want to make this clear: like we aren't the ones like we're not manufacturing this idea that like the Timberwolves want Jaden to be at the three. Like that is known. Like Chris Finch mm-hmm. said that kind of, in a roundabout way said. They would prefer Jaden at the three, but if they can't bring in a four, Jaden's probably going to have to play the four. Um, so, yeah, I check think out, that... Check out
1: these numbers. Check out these numbers. Go for it. Jaden Defensive rating, when Jaden played small forward, according to Cleaning the Glass, 112.9, which is above average. Hey. When he played power forward, 120.1, which is atrocious. Worst One defense worst. in and, the NBA, yeah. And that is because, if you kind of like extrapolate it out, it's because when... When he was playing power forward, you got Beasley at the three. You just got no size now at your forward positions at all. But when he was playing, how cleaning the glass did it, when he was playing small forward, Josh Okogi was playing the four. Josh Okoge, so really the exchange there, and everyone's like, oh, small forward, power forward is the same thing, kind of. But it also depends who, you ha- who else you have-, you have out there with him. Like McDaniels and Kogi might work because Akogi is a good defender. McDaniels and Beasley, when that's your three, four, when you got D'Lo and Ant at the one and two, because that's right. what these numbers are. Like, that's where, that's where it breaks down. So I don't know if it's McDaniels can't, can't play the four, but a whole lot of things point out to me just on the defensive side of the ball that he would profit more, the Wolves would profit more, from playing him on small four defensively. And then obviously on offense for McDaniels, the whole realm of possibilities of what he can do Skill set wise, opens up a lot more. Was Jaden McDaniels a good dunker spot player this year when he was playing the floor? No, he he exactly. could he spaced. That's it. That's all he did. If he's playing the three now, you can be like, all right, I could see I could see Jaden McDaniels develop a wing type skill set. I could see him playing pick and rolls eventually. I could see him creating some. What can Jaden McDaniels offensively develop into if he's playing power forward? Not much. I don't think he. I don't think it's anything more than just PJ a space Tucker to four. maybe.
2: You know, like, yeah, that. It's, just
1: like, a, it's just a catch and shoot guy, you know. And for your 20 year old, man, you want to put him in a slot where he can where his ceiling's higher. So there's just a ton of things that line up for me that say you got to go with McDaniels at the three. I know he kind of got pushed into it this year based on necessity of the roster, but this is the time where you re necessitate your roster and you, you adjust accordingly. And, and to me, you know, bringing in another big. Slides McDaniels down, like, yeah, we're going to have to deal with whatever baggage comes with Beasley now having to come off the bench, whatever. But that that seems to me like the the more logical path to take as it, as it pertain as it connects to Jaden McDaniels.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. I think that Jaden, especially when you're talking about a guy who was, he's not just like a 20-year-old player. He's a 20-year-old player who, like, at one point was the number one player in his class in high school, and he's always been like a high-level guy. So there's always been something there to develop beyond dunker spot power forward. You know, like there's Mm -hmm. always been that put the ball on the deck, operating pick and rolls, you know, you know, just being a true offensive weapon. Right. (laughs) Being a wing in a 610 frame. So that's what I think that defensively, I think it's important, but you can still switch Jaden McDaniels to guard your Lucas and whatever, if he's a four, we saw it done with Jared Vanderbilt and we saw it done with Jaden McDaniels last year, but the offensive side of the floor is like even more important that way. Plus it helps on defense. Cause then you get somebody with a length or more length than Jaden. Even uh, man. I would, I would also
1: say too, I would also say too though. It's like easier to put Jaden McDaniels on Luca or point guard X, whatever. If he's playing the three, because if he's playing the four and now you're putting him at the point of attack, now somebody else has to be the four. Is your weak side defender right? Like right, Yeah. Re- weak side rim protection. Like, and if that guy is Malik Beasley, th- good luck. That's a, that's a six foot four guy. That's not even anything. I'm, he's not. He's too small for that. You know. So I just think we could really just distill this down very basically. I think your team's too small if you go with Cat and McDaniel's at your five four. Yeah. And is it an overcorrection to go all the way up to a Miles Turner? or a New Orleans Noel or something like that maybe but the reason i just keep bringing it up is that we haven't seen it before we've tried every single possible iteration of small twig ball right and it hasn't worked we went through we went through the defensive ratings of that you know over and over again so as i as i look for this team as i look for chris finch to further diversify this team defensively in terms of coverages i'd like to see him further diversify this team in the type of personnel he puts out on the floor right. defensively, because in the Carlante Towns era, we just haven't seen it.
2: Yeah, and I I think the other thing about bringing in a four is I trust Jaden to switch all the way down to to a one, and he mm-hmm. could switch up to the four if he's playing the three. I don't like the idea of him banging in the post with Jonas Valanciunas if him and Cat ever get switched. So bringing in a bigger size four that can take a little more of that that force that you know Valanciunas or Nurkic or even Rudy Gobert whoever it is is putting down there on the block, you know, that would help defensively as well, where you're not screwed. If cap doesn't find the opposing center, you know, you, what
1: about Nurkic? What about Nurkic on the wolves next year?
2: So I've actually thought about use of Nurkic on the wolves. The thing about Nurkic is the spacing that he provides is not good. So it's like that, that like how much <laughs> offense are you willing to sacrifice? Um, this past year, he actually did shoot forty percent from three, but it was on like 0.8 attempts per game. So nobody's gonna no. give a crap if Yusuf Nurkic mm-hmm. like went out there right. and is shooting a three. But um, he's just
1: another name I put down on my list of trade market guys. Yeah, at the yeah. Five.
2: I think could, that, I could
1: see Portland mixing it up.
2: Yeah, I I actually do. Defensively, I like that idea. I don't think he's like the greatest rim defender. World, obviously not. He only played half the season, but like he's
1: solid though. He's solid. Yeah, he's in that. solid. I, I think their defensive issues. So, we're not Yusuf Nurkic.
2: Yeah, it's definitely in Portland. It's the wings, and which mm. they spent a ton of money and a ton of assets getting defensive wings, and it didn't work out. But back to the Wolves, I, I do like the idea of him defensively. I don't hate the de- the idea of him offensively. They've made it work in Portland for how long, and they've played yeah, He's a
1: good offensive player. Yeah,
2: he's a good offensive player. He's just not a. He's not going to provide that spacing, but when you, hmm. I think there's enough spacing to where you won't completely punt on the idea of being a top ten offense, but you don't have that ability to go up and be in that top five offense potentially hmm. when you don't when your center like Nurkic can't you know space. Obviously, it works out because you have Damian Lillard there. The Wolves, You're right? Don't it's have predicated him.
1: on spacing. Yeah, the yeah. Wolves, the Wolves becoming elite on offense next season is by having a ton of space on the floor, feeding their shooters, and leaving Ant and D'Lo room to penetrate into the heart of the defense. Yeah, and Ant
2: needs that. And I don't want to take that away from Ant because I think that really – That's fair. His development really depends on being able to continue to do that. Um, Because I want to see Ant to a point where Ant is like star in the league because Ant had a very similar season to Trey Young last – when Trey Young was a rookie. Ant had a very similar season, slow start, and then just took off after the All-Star break. They both averaged, like, 19 points. They both shot, like, the same percentages from the field. And then Trey went on to average 29 points in his second season. 29. I don't want to take away Ant's potential to do that by planting a big man that doesn't get out of the paint down there and being in his way all the time. So that's where i really hesitant with that, because like I know it'll and help the defense. Probably on the
1: whole idea. Probably on this whole idea. I mean, even if it is a "quote unquote" floor spacing center like Miles Turner, he's it's not like he's not going to touch the paint, you know. And and that what you just said right there might be enough for Wolves fans or just the, the Wolves front office to just rule out this whole idea of bringing in a bigger player because right. a bigger player is going to take up more space, kind of in more of that space that we would like to see Anthony Edwards create in. So that might, that might be enough to outweigh as we're weighing this out, the whole idea of moving down this sort of path for, for this team, because at the end of the day, if they pri- are prioritizing Ant almost over anything else, then you prioritize Ant almost over anything else. And that might be defense. Right. That might be this idea that, well, yeah, we're maybe they do agree that they'd be an average defense if they brought in miles Turner, but if that comes at the cost of limiting Anthony Edwards from being what Trey Young was taking the Trey Young arc, then yeah, I think you're right. They, they won't look to go into that.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's kind of my whole thing is like, you don't want to really get rid of ants lanes to drive and, and everything that way. Cause that's his, his bread and butter. That's how he's going to get the most of his points. So then you're looking at trying to find a four who like a, isn't always going to be down there, but can yeah. go down there, play some defense that way. And it's just, it's a whole whirlwind. And if it, <laughs> you go one way and it doesn't work, we're going to wish we went to the other way. And that way probably wouldn't work either. There's always, it comes it's a tricky out of, calculation. You need to sacrifice something. You can't, the Timberwolves are not going to have it perfect. So you're going to have to figure out what is the most important thing to you and what are you willing to sacrifice? Maybe that is spacing for Ant. Maybe Ant is good enough, a point where he'll still be solid and you can do that. Maybe you, like you said, prioritize him over anything, including defense. Then you just say, let's try and find the best four we can that can space the floor and not get in his way and play some defense. You know, like a Pascal Siakam type of guy where he's not going to take up the paint. But he's still a decent defender, but he's not going to rim protect for you. Someone like that. And that, and Pascal Siakam, I think, would be a great player to have, but you can't afford to go get him. So I don't know who that type of player is.
1: <laughs> it's a tricky calculation, man. It, it is, and it's going to be... I mean, we're going to start seeing the tea leaves of what they, what they are going to pursue this summer. And obviously, the draft lottery will play into that and all sorts of other things. But I, it, it's cool and, I think, fun for what we do to, to be able to look, chart these paths and be like, hey, I, we don't know exactly what the right one is, but here's what path one, path two, and path three look like. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see uh, what Gerson Rosas chooses you know, this summer based on what he has at his uh, disposal. Yeah, it's not a Brendan, lot at
2: his disposal, but I, I, I'm I with you. I really just hope to see soon. I mean, it's going to take a while, but I just want to know what's going to happen because then we can start figuring out what it's going to look like. Right. But Exactly.
1: Well, you wrote a great priest, Brendan. Uh, thank, thank you, you. Uh, for coming on and, and chatting about it. Uh, you can check out Brendan's piece uh, at com, The Path to a Respectable Defense. <laughs> it's just kind of a sad title but
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: not even good
2: respectable defense like not no, I bottom mean, it's of the, the league. right word <laughs> right
1: it's it's the right word it's it's top 20 top 20 that's 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 the line we're hoping for next year and with that they might be able to be a playoff team so okay. read brendan's piece over at canis brendan thanks for doing it you can follow brendan on twitter at b underscore headkey mba which is i can't spell it but you'll you'll find you'll you'll find him there. Thanks for doing it, Brendan, and i uh, will have to have you on again sometime soon.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks.
1: All right, I will be back with another pod. I'm not sure exactly what my plan is next, but we'll we'll be back later in the week, and I will talk to you then. Until then, peace out.